This is Trackside with Kirk Cavan and Kevin Lee. For the first time ever in the state of Alabama, the IndyCar Series is about to compete on this spectacular Barber Motorsports Park. Elio Castroneves will see the twin checkers. He's the winner of the inaugural running of the Indy Grand Prix of Alabama. Will Power goes to victory lane as the double checkers fly. The Aussie, he'll see the twin checkered flags and he will throw the fist into the air. Ryan hunter wins at Barber Motorsports Park. It is checkered flag time for Ryan hunter second year in a row. The wait is over. Joseph Newgarden is an IndyCar race winner. Simon Pagino, flawless on the day. He'll see the checkered flag for his sixth career win. First win in Penske colors for Joseph Newgarden. He's done it again in Barber. Twin checkers out, and Joseph Newgarden goes back-to-back to victory lane. He wins the Indy Grand Prix of Alabama. Twin checkers out, and Takuma Sato goes to victory lane here at Barber Motorsports Park. And Alex Below will go to victory lane for the first time. He wins the Honda Indy Grand Prix of Alabama to kick off the 2021 campaign. It is race week from Barber Motorsports Park in Birmingham, Sunday afternoon, 1 o'clock Eastern on NBC and here on 93.5, 107.5 The Fan. This also will be part of our discussion tonight, be one of the earliest silly seasons that's ever started, at least publicly. One race winner is just about off the market while the speculation grows for another. There's a new qualifying format coming for the 106th Indianapolis 500. Pretty simple, but there's something to consider from a competition standpoint. We'll have details and explain. And we've had our first preview of this year's 500 with last week's open test. Hello, welcome. Thank you for joining us tonight on Trackside. While I multitask, my my Twitter machine was not refreshing. There's Indy 44, Matt Archuleta's promo with the link that he's better at doing than I am. We Welcome you and thank you for joining us at Kevin Lee 23 at Kurt Cavan. Sam Romsey is our studio producer in the MS Communications Worldwide Headquarters. A couple of things I want to uh, list first before we get into some details, Kurt, before I forget. So nightly shows for this program begin next Monday night at 7 o'clock. Next Monday, it will be May. In fact, Sunday will be May. There will be three IndyCar races in the month of May this year. So next Monday, we're on from 7 until 8. Then Beyond the Bricks with Jake Query and Mike Thompson is at 8 o'clock. I checked with Jake. They expect to have some contributions once again from Donald Davidson at different times throughout the year. So listen for that as well. Um, I mentioned this late in the show, so I'll just touch on this very briefly. The Prime 47 Downtown Indy Burger Bash is Monday, May 23rd. Check my Twitter from last week. So I think the link to last week's show last Tuesday night, I linked a blog. I don't have a blog site, so I use Jackson's website, jacksonleeracing.com, and you can find all kinds of details about that. We have some limited VIP tickets available. So if you want to join us, you probably should, because I'm not sure how many more we're going to be able to sell, but they are still available at this point. And then on Carb Night, the Carb Night Classic is going at Lucas Oil Indianapolis Raceway Park again with the Road to Indy and also USAC races. And we'll do a show there, a shorter version, 
uh, say around 5.30 before racing starts at 7 o'clock. And one thing that's not finalized yet, uh, I've purchased some suites for our partners, some suite tickets for the GP weekend. And if we have any left over, we may offer out some entry-level partnership opportunities. I've had some people ask how they could get involved with Jackson's program, and this might be a lower uh, level of financial commitment, depending on how things go. So that is maybe coming. And I'll say this, I'll just use this platform. I really could use Indy 500 sweet tickets. Uh, I have people that are willing to buy them. I'm not looking for freebies. So Kurt, if you know anyone that has a spare, oh, one, two, maybe 15, I could use up to that many, but we won't be choosy and we'll take any we can get willing to purchase for the Indianapolis 500. So that's that. And one last thing I want to mention, because I meant to do this last week, and this is actually, uh, I, I think, the most important mention that we had. I tweeted this last week, and I know some some others did as well, but there's a, a really cool GoFundMe that uh, was put up maybe a week and a half or so ago. And I suspect our buddy Terry Lingner kind of got this started as well with some other people. Bob Jenkins' hometown in Liberty, Indiana, wants to do a a big mural for him. Liberty is, what, just east of here? It's a little bit south of Richmond. This is going to be our first May without Bob, without Robin Miller, and, you know, unfortunately without without several people. But his hometown wants to have a mural on the wall, and it costs something. And the artist they have chosen to do this— Her name is Pamela Bliss, and you would probably recognize some of her work. She did the big mural downtown for Reggie Miller on the side of a building. She's done the Kurt Vonnegut mural that you've probably seen. Very well known. A really cool tribute. So I tweeted this last week. Townsend Bell did. I know a lot of people have. Maybe I'll tweet it again here during a break. But if uh, you have the opportunity to help, that, that GoFundMe is out there. And I, I haven't looked for uh, a while, but they had good response in the opening couple of days. So that's what's happening. Some mentions out of the way. Welcome to the program. It's time to go racing again. It does. And it feels like it, too. We've had um, cars on track at Indianapolis Motor Speedway since we last visited. And we've got trucks rolling toward Birmingham, Alabama. So we've got, got a race this weekend. The Honda Indy Grand Prix of Alabama, which is uh, always a really great event to attend. If you haven't been there, we often refer to it as as the masters of of uh, IndyCar racing from the standpoint of the scenery and and the spring colors that come into play at that racetrack at this time of the year. You know, the race is deeper into April actually at race day on May 1. So colors ought to be in full bloom. It ought to be just beautiful. And they're expecting a big crowd, uh, pretty close to a sellout. Uh, if, if officially they've, they've run out of parking places. So uh, that, that's good to see from, from that standpoint, by the way, one clarification on the burger bash, it is open to everyone. Uh, mm-hmm. No charge to attend donations. Uh, welcome. As we've done in the past, we have a, a Firestone Firehawk tire that that uh, people will uh, stuff two and three and ten dollars in and and just make a good evening of it. Uh, but we we do have some special access uh, VIP credentials or passes available uh, that uh, that will come be nice. But it, it you also can enjoy the event and just just come and support it. Yeah, it's it's 
just like the old days, that it won't cost you anything. And I think we'll get a good turnout of Indy 500 drivers to come and visit with us and other personalities as well. We'll do the radio show from there and we'll have more time than just the radio show. So the program will be from 6 to 8.30ish and we'll have an auction benefiting the IU Simon Comprehensive Cancer Center. And that's where all the proceeds are going. And uh, I, I've, I think I've done pretty well keeping our overhead down. USAC has basically donated the buildings. So we're going to promote some of the things that USAC will be doing that week as well. I've just got to, so please don't make a mess because I have to pay for the cleanup crew. So okay. I, I'm in charge of that. So that's one of our expenses. Prime 47, Indy, uh, the downtown location. There, There's another one in town, but they are separate. So Prime 47, downtown Indy. That's who you can support that is supporting this. They are donating food to our v VIPs, and they're going to sell burgers. So it's the burger bash again to the crowd. We're working on some things for kids, like getting ice cream or slushies or something like that. And for the big kids, we're going to have some adult beverages available to sell with proceeds going to the cancer center and then some uh, some freebies inside for the VIPs. So we'll, we'll pull out and, and let you know when we have more time next week with daily shows, some of the auction items and so forth. But that's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, let's get into details for this weekend. Do you have the, the time list in front of you? for what we're going to be doing. I've got a pretty good idea off the top of my mind, but you may have it in front of you. I don't have it in front of me. It's funny you uh, should ask that, but I, I have it right here, so please stand by. So track action, it's really an all-day track action on Friday uh, with the Road to Indy and Indy Lights on hand. So they'll be from from 9.30, or actually 8.30 local time until really the, the, the end of the day, Cars are going to be on track. So it's a fun-filled, uh, cars-always-moving kind of day on Friday at Barber Motorsports Park, which, for those of you who haven't been there, just a little bit east of, of Birmingham. They officially have a Birmingham address. It's probably 15 minutes from downtown, straight east uh, there on, on the interstate. So anyway, IndyCar practice uh, on Friday begins at 4 p.m. Eastern uh, on Peacock Premium. And then you can catch the, uh, that's a 45-minute session with a similar practice and similar coverage on Saturday at 10 a.m. Eastern, uh, followed by NTTP1 award qualifying at 1 Eastern, followed by final practice at 5.20 Eastern. And then the race on Sunday uh, begins with uh, the 1 o'clock broadcast green flag shortly thereafter you'll want to be ready to go because green flag is going to come quickly after the broadcast starts and then uh the 90 lap race uh will will go and, and peacock premium is going to have an extended show so i hope your flight is a little bit later so you can you can continue to work and talk to as many people as you need to and of course uh, like always the indycar radio network also providing coverage on this station and many others. You can also find it on racecontrol.indycar.com or the IndyCar app. And so uh, a variety of ways to catch the action, and we'll be ready to go and pro providing as much as we can. Also note that the Indy Lights race on Peacock Premium will be Sunday morning, just one race. They aren't doing many doubleheaders this year. So just one race, Sunday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern. We may go on the air five minutes or so before, so 10.55-ish to 11 o'clock for that 35-lap or 55-minute race, and then there will be uh, an hour break or so before we go on the air at noon on NBC and Peacock. And as you mentioned, 
short pre-race green flag is set for 12 12 local 12 15 something like that so not come on and go so you still got time to tell some stories maybe we have to tape interviews i don't think they'll have to get in the car till about three or four after so i haven't we haven't had our meeting yet so we might be able to get a couple of people live but still time to set the scene and then as you mentioned we'll have to get off the air pretty quickly so we'll have post race on peacock and we're going to racing so that makes it a little bit easier as well the imsa weathertech sports car championship is at WeatherTech Raceway Laguna Seca, and they're on network television this Sunday afternoon. So it's back-to-back races, 3 p.m. on NBC on Sunday. Uh, Dave Burns and Calvin Fish will be in the booth from Laguna Seca, so just uh, keep it there all afternoon, and you can kind of multitask and watch our interviews on Peacock all at the same time. So good weekend coming up. As you mentioned, the entire road to Indy is going to be there. Uh, We'll tweet out a schedule for Jackson's schedule this weekend, but I think he... Let's see, he's going to race on Saturday afternoon at 4.20 local time. I'm sorry, 4.20 Eastern time, 3.20 local time. And then his second race is going to be at 10 a.m. on Sunday, 9 a.m. local time. They have a good broadcast as well on on YouTube with Rob Howden and his group. It's, uh, I think, Road to Indy TV, but just do a Google search for USF 2000, Indy Pro 2000. And you can see those races this weekend as well. So that's what's coming up. And then you talk about who's good. Um, you know, maybe you start with a guy who hasn't won the race. What, well, Scott Dixon has finished second six times and third three times that's in correct. 11 starts. <laughs> Nine of the 11 races, he's finished uh, second or third without winning. It's quite remarkable. Team Penske has been the dominant team in terms of victory lane. Six wins for Team Penske, three of them by Joseph Newgarden and two by Will Power. And Power has been, as he is most places, the dominant qualifier with four poles. Uh, but, you know, again, Penske and Ganassi, it'll be kind of their their party to, to spoil from the rest of the field. But Pato Award was on the pole last year. So the Aero McLaren team, uh, Merrill McLaren SP, they've certainly been familiar with success. Uh, Pato ran fourth in the race last year, and and so he's. I know he's excited about going back, and and he'll be one of the things we talk about later in the show. He's got kind of a spring in his step, which we can uh, get to later. So use that as your tease for the evening. That's one of many topics that we're going to get to, and you know, New Garden is. He had, what, three wins in four years, and the other one he finished second or third or something like that. And then last year, he starts that crash that not only takes him out but takes several others out at the beginning of the race. And he's in a – you remember, this was the season opener last year too. Uh, but he's in a very different situation than he was from this time last year and is looking to just kind of stomp on people at this point. And keep in mind that there's a million dollar bonus that he is eligible to yeah. to collect uh, the people ready f- uh, force for good challenge. I have to think about what the name of that is. It's a little it, it doesn't roll off my tongue yet, but the people ready force for good challenge. And and what that is, is uh, if you can win, if a driver can win or the first driver to win on all three types of circuits in the 2022 season, uh, that would be ovals, road courses, and street circuits. Uh, we'll collect a million dollars, half of that going to the team and the driver, the other half going to charities of their choice. And so 
you know, he obviously got that spectacular win at, at Texas Motor Speedway, so he's checked the box on the oval. He won the uh, the street race at at, uh, at Long Beach, which gives him that box checked. And now this is just the first of seven road course races. And honestly, he'll be the driver to beat at about four of them at least, given his success in the past. So he's got uh, seven chances now to, to, to complete that million-dollar bonus. And he'll have to, you know, get, get giddy up because if – Say, say uh, Scott McLaughlin were to win this race, he will have had a, a road course race victory and a street circuit victory. So he would only need an oval and what better place than Indianapolis Motor Speedway to collect that that million dollar bonus. So anyway, a lot of things to uh, to watch uh, this weekend at Barber. McLaughlin's one of those guys that I'm curious to see how he goes. We know Penske is strong. This was his wasn't his first IndyCar race. He had had that one off at the end of 20 at St. Pete, but his first when he was set to go full time and he did pretty well. I would say he, he somewhat exceeded expectations to start that season. And I think that was one of the things that led to some unrealistic expectations in his mind, being frustrated qualifying mid pack because his very first race, he makes it to round two. He qualified 12th and he hung in there pretty well, finished 14th. Now with a year's experience, and he's been fast at all three tracks. He was fast at Long Beach without the mistake of catching the curb and the fountain, uh, and, and he didn't start as well as he would have liked, so I'm not sure that he was going to be a top three or four, but maybe he at least was going to be quick. Uh, he, he might be a player this weekend. And then what do the former Team Penske guys do in different situations? Pagano and Castroneves have both won here. They're now with an entirely different team, the same team. Will that transfer for them? Yeah, and and you throw in Will Power, too, who obviously is, has had success, a couple wins and four poles, as I mentioned. You know, Will's um, Will's had an, a pretty strong start to the season with, what, a couple thirds or at least uh, three finishes in the top four, and yet he's fourth in points uh, because he hasn't had a win uh, to get those bonus points up up top but but Will's had a good start to the season this has been a track that he races well at and with team Penske's success I would expect Will to be in the mix as well I watched the uh, the 30 minute recap of last year's race this afternoon and I think this leads to some entertainment because you have a couple of different strategies in play Pottle Award couldn't make the tires last so right. he had to do three stops Alex Pillow made it work on two he started third and just kind of rode around while Pato slid all over the place at the front. And then when Pato went to pit, you know, I think the thought was, well, he'll do a couple of more laps with clean track in front of him. And he just stayed out. He stayed out another 10 laps or so and made it work. And then once he got to that point, hey, you're making the Firestones last. And he started on reds, by the way. So that was pretty impressive to get to like lap 31 of a, la a 90 lap race. So he was easily in the window, and he pretty much had things in control after that. Uh, so that was, I'm sure, one of the things that's been focused on is, all right, we're fast at Aaron McLaren SP. Now can we make the tires work? And they have done a lot more development. This is more than a year ago since they've last been here and well over a season. So it may be a very different situation, but I think that adds to some intrigue that we'll see some just say, let's go hard and do it on three, and maybe the cautions work our way. And others, 
no, I think we want to go two stops and and play the long game. So I think that plays out in our factor from an entertainment standpoint. Um, we have racing in Alabama for the second week in a row. Talladega was just this past weekend. So some race fans that like to do a little bit of everything could have maybe stuck around and joined. And the Moose car won again last week. I can't believe that the Moose car is not involved with my program, but Ross Chastain has won two times now for Trackhouse with a big moose, and it is for the fraternal order of the moose uh, on his car. And did you see the Xfinity race got over 2 million viewers? I did. Most they've had I... in, in five years. It was on network, I think. I think it was on network on Saturday. Um, you start to, do you read in it, anything into that? In my mind... I have a lot easier time committing to those Xfinity races than I do a cup race. I almost feel like to watch a four-hour cup race, well, one, I'm starting late and I'm getting it done in three. And two, I feel like, well, this is the business I'm in, so I need to watch it. But the Xfinity races are like IndyCar races. You know, it's a two, it's a little bit longer, but it's closer to a two-hour window. And I, I just find those a little bit more appealing. And I know that's kind of a debate within the cup world right now. The drivers have even openly said this, that our races are too long, but the problem is they're so expensive for television. The rights fees are so high. The only way to make that work is you need a lot of commercial inventory. So I don't know what the answer is there. You can say charge more for the commercials, I guess, but yeah. Yeah. I thought you might point out that Ross Chastain won uh, the Talladega race and the Circuit of the Americas race, the road course, on this with the same race car. Yeah, which was yeah, that's uh, cool. pretty impressive. That was very cool. And we talk a lot, you know, about specialization and, you know, we see photographs of, of these race teams shops in stock car land and you'll see, you know, 15 chassis sitting on, on, uh, on mounts waiting to, uh, to be sent to the various racetracks. You think, well, that, you know, these aren't, these aren't uh, plug and play at the different facilities, but for Ross and that team, that's a, a pretty, pretty special accomplishment. And of course he was, he was uh, not, I wouldn't say in contention for the lead uh, coming to the checkered flag and, and the seas kind of parted and drivers mm -hmm. started going every which direction. He just drove right through the middle of it. I think I would have liked to seen what a timing line showed with say, I mean, it's going to say 400 yards, but it might've been a little further than that, you know, given, uh, how how big those that racetrack is and how fast those cars are running. But the point is, with a pretty, you know, three or four or five seconds to go, uh, he's running about seventh, it seemed, or, or maybe fifth. Uh, I couldn't tell exactly, but uh, the timing line would have showed that uh, he passed a lot of cars in those last few, few yards. And the IndyCar connection would be, that's Chip Ganassi's team. That's won two races this year, and maybe another sign that, it was probably time for Chip to move on and concentrate on other things when Kyle Larson leaves and can't be beat. And now you sell this team and Ross Chastain has won his first two races and they've been in contention for others and may still get two in, into the playoffs. But enough NASCAR. We'll get to IndyCar coming up in a moment. We need to talk about the qualifying changes for this year's Indianapolis 500. What we learned, what we don't know from the test last week and plenty more, including your Twitter comments and questions at Kevin Lee 23 at Kurt Cavan on Trackside. Hi, this is Scott Dixon, and you're listening to Trackside on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. 
so it's Tuesday night, Kurt, but I've already done a Wednesday morning live interview. How is that possible? You're in Australia? New Zealand to talk about Scott Dixon and, and Scott McLaughlin. Uh, I think I did this at 445 this afternoon, and I think they said it was 845 a.m. They said good morning, and I said good morning to you. Welcome. That was fun. I thought you were supposed the to say good are all so friendly. Lots of mates involved in the conversation, and it was great. <laughs> good blokes, as they say. So that you're, was fun. All right, let's loaded. talk about yeah. what we learned today for qualifying. We've been waiting to see the confirmation of how this was going to work. You know, frankly, um, it's not been super ideal because in a perfect world, you're talking about a qualifying format that has a last row shootout and you're talking about bumping and lots of on-track activity on Saturday and Sunday. And the reality is most of us have known for a while and it's pretty clear that there's not going to be any other options for beyond 33 cars. There is still a provision in that in that scenario. So they're not ruling that out. We'll make that clear. But they needed to come up with something to to make Sunday a little bit more interesting. And I think they have done that. Is it perfect? Not necessarily. But that perfect option was not out there. And this appears to me to be the best option available. Kurt, give us the details of what's going to happen in qualifying this year. So the Saturday format is largely intact from a year ago. Uh, the one difference is the asterisk if if there are, is a 34th or 35th car, which, as you mentioned, neither one of us expects. So let's just, for, for the purpose of this conversation, and we'll have plenty of shows between now and then to clarify if need be, but let's just assume there are 33 car and driver combinations. And in that scenario, cars will qualify on Saturday and what will be locked in are positions 13 through 33. So all those in essentially the back two thirds of the field will be locked into those positions for the 106th running of the Indianapolis 500. Where it gets interesting is on Sunday and we will again have a shootout for the poll and that begins, and, and there'll be some practice times in the early part of the day, but at 4 o'clock, which is when the network broadcast begins on NBC, the top 12 from Saturday's action will go in reverse order for the right to move on to what will be round three, and that will be the Firestone Fast 6 shortly after 5 o'clock. So everybody goes out. Those top 12 go out at 4 o'clock. The top six will then advance to a final round of qualifying, so essentially three rounds, much as there is on road courses, and then the top six will each get one shot in reverse order of their previous round's times to determine the poll. And then that poll will be uh, awarded, and then all 33 starters will come back on Monday for a session, a practice session, between noon and 2 p.m. So Sean Noonan asks on Twitter, please touch on the new qualifying format and how these changes make it more competitive better. I don't know that it necessarily makes it more competitive or better. That is up for debate. I, I think there are some positive aspects of this, but what this is, it's an entertainment business. And you're trying to provide content for people with the assets that you have available 
on Sunday. So this, in my mind, is getting creative. And I think, all things considered, it's pretty good. Again, we'd love to have bumping. Best case scenario is there are 35 or 36 cars, and there's a practice in the morning for the five or six cars that are not locked into the top 30, and then we're doing you know a shootout either with multiple runs or one run each at 1 o'clock. Uh, and then you're doing a practice for the, the front three or four rows after that, and you're doing something after that. So uh, this is... And you can argue whether you need to to do go from nine to twelve. I think you can make an argument that legit poll contenders go deeper than the top nine. And now this keeps more in play because say your draw, say it's a warm day and it's heating up throughout the day, and you draw 32nd on Saturday. And Will Power goes out there and he's no better than ninth best or seventh best or whatever, or 10th best old format, top nine, he's 10th best. And you think, eh, that's pretty good. Do I want to try again or can I try again? Because I don't want to withdraw and have a chance that I have a puncture in my tire and all of a sudden I'm starting in the back row. Risk versus reward, not necessarily worth it, but that might be a car that in equal conditions is a pole contender. Now I think you have a better chance of the best car winning the pole on Sunday. So that's one thought. Well, I think regardless of where you draw the line, this is very much a uh, a scenario that happens in the NCAA basketball tournament. Wherever you have – whatever number you choose, 64 teams for that basketball tournament or 68, there's always going to be a bunch of teams right on the bubble. And in this case, you know, we had a pretty interesting – uh, competition between cars six through about 12 for that top nine positions a year ago. Now the number just comes down a little bit. And I don't mean in terms of talent. I mean, in terms of now the numbers are lower from the standpoint of cars nine, maybe cars six all the way through about 15 are in play for the top 12. So that'll be interesting to see, you know, because as you say, it kind of brings more people into the fray. I don't know that it brings more in terms of the poll, because I think the poll, the number of cars that can win the poll under equal uh, circumstances is probably the same, regardless of which format you use. There's not nine and there's not 12. There's probably about six or seven cars that can legitimately win the poll in a given year, uh, depending on the weather conditions. And, you know, the real drama here is that and this is something you're going to get some pushback from some drivers, not all, but some drivers are going to say, I got to hold my breath, not once, not twice. I got to hold it three times around this mm -hmm. place for 10 laps or 10 miles. You know, you're going to have a few of those guys are going to, you know, make that comment just because, you know, they weren't keen about having to do it once, let alone three times. So that'll be, uh, you'll hear a little of that. But uh, but the drama of, man, I got to get in the top 12. And so everybody from, you know, from six all the way down to like 20, because this is a deep field. When we talk about, you know, testing times from last week's test at IMS, my goodness. I mean, you know, just just an example. And, and there was nothing on the line in testing. But Ed Carpenter was 31st. 
you know, again, that's that's just one guy. Colton Herta, you know, we expect him to be one of those kind of guys. He was 29th in this test. Rossi was 23rd. So the point to Elio was only got one day. He was 27th. The point is there's so many cars and drivers that you probably got 20 that can compete for that top 12. So there's a bunch of people that think they're going to make the top 12. And then you want to make the fat Firestone fast six, because if nothing else, it improves your starting position. There are points awarded 12th for the pole, 11th for second on down for one point for the 12th position. But maybe more than all that is on NBC you're going to get two qualifying exactly. runs for your sponsors. You're going to get yeah. two shots to parade your sponsor decals and have, you know, the guys in the booth talking about your race car and and showing that pink livery if you're Pagano or Rossi or or Elio Castroneves. So you've got TV time on network television all to yourself. There's not two cars on the track. This isn't a road course where you've got, you know, six cars on their track at once. This is all you. And uh, yeah, you're, the driver's holding his breath, and maybe the car owner as well. But uh, you know, this is going to be prime TV time for twelve cars, and that's going to be important to a lot of those sponsors. So six are going to get multiple visibilities on network television, and even that, if you make it into the Firestone Fast Six, it's probably three. Because you're going to get an interview as well. If you make it into the Firestone Fast Six, the driver is going to get interviewed. They're going to show the car two times. And you've just expanded your group into the final session by three. So now three more teams are getting exposure going from day one to day two. So from the commercial aspect, I really like this. I really like that opportunity for more teams and it gives you more incentive to try to get up front on that first day because what you want is it's not only about starting in the front four rows, but you want net network television coverage because, unfortunately, there's not network television coverage on Saturday. It's a different world. Streaming is where things are eventually headed, and this is going to be a full day of streaming on Saturday. Uh, now, the other thing from a competition standpoint that I think that drivers and teams will be talking about and might play into some scenarios on whether you really want to be the fastest on Saturday is that recall the conversations when there were multiple attempts available. And that was the case last year for the last row shootout. And I forget it's changed. I don't, I can't recall if we had the ability could, was it just one attempt for the fast nine last year or not? Yes. Yes. Just it was just one, one attempt. attempt. Okay. So we're, we're talking about on Saturday for those that want to make an extra attempt to better their position, or there were multiple attempts available for the last row shootout. But the problem we are told is the cars, the engines need about 90 minutes to fully cool down and run at 100% efficiency. They can still go pretty quick but they may be a few hundredths off or a tenth off or whatever, but it's not going to be its outright fastest if they have to run within an hour. So here's this scenario. If they are indeed going at 4 p.m. from 12 through 1, um, if you're the last one to go, which is going to be, it takes, that's going to be about 5 o'clock. It takes about an hour to do 11 cars. That's what the math always says, right? Yeah, it might be 11 to 13. 
you're you're right. You're continue because you're basically on the right track here. So, so if you have qualified best, you're going out last. You'd better hope you're fastest in that group. Or if you are sixth fastest, you're going out again in ten minutes, and you're probably going to stay sixth fastest. So best case scenario, what you'd love to do is you'd love to go out first at 4 o'clock, be 12th or 11th or 10th, somewhere there early, and then whatever number you put up is still going to give you almost an hour for the engine to cool down before the fast six starts at 515. Even even if now you got to make the top six, it doesn't do you any good to go out and sandbag it. But wherever you're at, you have the best chance of your engine being optimal for the Firestone Fast 6. You're still going to probably that- want to go as fast as you can just to be safe. But that is a little bit of luck of the draw. And I guarantee this will be a discussion point when we get to that Sunday. It will be a discussion point. I guarantee you. But if you are capable of driving around the racetrack and slotting yourself somewhere between 7th and 12th, with any certainty, then you're you're much better than everyone else because the field is so now, tight. But here, here's how it's going to play out. If you're not going to take a second run, if you're That's seventh, right. eighth, or ninth, you're going to hang around that line late on Saturday afternoon, and you're not making another run. You're only going again as if it, if it looks like there are enough people that are faster than you, and that'll make things fascinating. This is what the drama is going to be on – on Saturday, because people really, they're not going to want to be up at the top. Here's something maybe IndyCar can consider if they didn't write it down in, uh, in the rules today. This has changed. If they want some incentive for someone to be fastest on Saturday, they might consider pit location based on Saturday. However, I understand the negative to that and the reason why they changed it back. That's the way it was until a few years ago, to give an incentive to be fastest on Saturday. But then you confused fans, and we show up on race day. And why is the pole sitter back here in the ninth stall? Why isn't he at pit out? So I, I and I I agree with that. I think that makes perfect sense. We want to make things as simple as possible. We want to line them up by their final starting positions, or at least the choice. So the pole sitter is very likely to be at pit out. But that's just something to consider if if they're worried about that. Probably minutia, because like you said, you're going to go as fast as you can. It's only going to potentially impact extra runs late on Saturday. If you're safely in, you really don't want to be one. You want to be seven through 12. The other thing to consider, and 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 this goes to your point about a quick turnaround for the Firestone Fast 6, it now seems to me that we at least have a, a better than 50-50 odds here of the fastest car in qualifying not being the pole sitter because that second round or the first round on Sunday, the, 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 the 12 qualifying round, it's pretty conceivable that the, the fastest lap could come out of that. I think it's mm-hmm. 50-50, especially if it takes you know an extended period of time to get the cars at the temperature that would be maximum for maximum speed. I think I think it stands to reason the odds are decent that the the fastest qualifying time will come on on uh, round two, and and we see that at road courses all the time. 
and it's not as big a deal there, but at Indy, it kind of is a big, a big deal to say you had the fastest car. Here's something though, that could make all this moot. And I'm just, now I recall this. I remember this conversation last year and I don't know if it was someone that knew the technical differences, but it was discussed of cooling the cars that IndyCar, because you're not allowed to touch the cars. You can do very little to the cars, and you certainly can't artificially cool them. If they allowed something like that, so that, that'll that be something I ask Kevin Blanche, Jay Fry, whoever, when I talk to them this weekend. If, if that might be a way around all of this, where if you just went out as the last one and then you have to go again 10 minutes later, maybe they have already put that in the plans that, yes, we're going to allow it this one time to, to cool the engines down and we feel like everyone will be on a pretty level playing field. So that's a question that we can answer next week on the show and see if there is anything to that, uh, that from a technical aspect. All right, our news of the day is coming up in just a moment. We've got more to talk about from IMS last week. Early silly season already and more coming up on Trackside. and you're listening to Trackside on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. It's time for the Indianapolis Speedrome and Circle City Raceway News of the Day. Looking for fun this Saturday night? Look no further than the Tom Wood Group Indianapolis Speedrome powered by Lincoln Tech. Saturday nights at the Speedrome feature family-friendly racing action, great food, free parking, and outrageous fun. Always capped off by the world-famous wild and unpredictable figure eight. Adult tickets, only $10. Kids eight and under are free. The Indianapolis Speedrome at the corner of Brookville Road and Kitley Avenue, one mile west of I-465 on Indy's southeast side. For more information, check out speeddrome.com. Kurt, what is our news of the day selection? Well, it's going to take uh, some adjustment on your part as a broadcaster because at the big machine... Uh, Music City Grand Prix in Nashville, the alternate red tires will be alternate green tires. That announcement coming as part of a sustainability initiative announced by Penske Entertainment and Firestone over the over the week last week. I guess that was on Friday. A number Earth of Day. that yeah. was it was Earth Day. That's right. There were a number of initiatives, but I think the green tires which will be the alternate tires, those will be made from a, in a different way uh, using this uh, brush that comes out of the southwest called Waiuli, which I had not found that term to be in my vernacular. I had to look it up to see how to pronounce it. But it's a different tire compound uh, that will be uh, uh, much more eco-friendly, and so tires are one of the areas where where IndyCar is is going to strive to improve over the next few years. Of course, Firestone's got this uh, big uh, initiative to be carbon carbon neutral and 100% renewable materials by 2050, which is a tremendous undertaking uh, by Bridgestone and Firestone. Uh, there'll also be an electric charging, uh, an EV charging station at IMS. Uh, they're going to drive the tires uh, to IMS and electric tractor trailers. So a number of things, but for your sake and my sake as a viewer, we got to get used to the fact that they're putting on the green tires as opposed to the red ones. And do I need to know how to pronounce that type of rubber Wyuli? tree plant that it's made from? Because it's course. spelled Wyuli. very differently. Okay, I understand so that. I'll write that down by the time we get to it Nashville. Starts, it starts with a G, but it's Wyuli. 
Okay. And that is our news of the day. Indy's newest dirt track is Circle City Raceway at the Marion County Fairgrounds. On, on, on this Sunday night, sprint car racing kicks off the 2022 season as the Jonathan Bird sprint cars take to the quarter-mile bull ring for a special $5 fan appreciation night. $5 general admission. Kids 8 and under are free. Circle City Raceway is family-friendly, great food, free parking, and did you hear? Outrageous fun as well. That's this Sunday, May 1st, at Circle City Raceway at the intersection of 465 and 74. More information is available at CircleCityRaceway.com. Hour number two of the big show is coming up. We talk Pato Award. We talk Alexander Rossi. And we might as well go ahead and roll out a list of potential free agents for 2023 before we even get to May of 2022. That's all coming up on Trackside. Hi, this is Pato Award, and you're listening to Trackside. Well, I hadn't decided in what direction we were going to go, but Sam just decided it for me. Let's talk about Pato Award as our next item of business before we get set to return to racing this weekend at Barber Motorsports Park for IndyCar here on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. And on NBC, 1 o'clock Eastern is airtime at about 1.15 Eastern Green Flag. Peacock Post Race Show is available once again after we're done at 3 o'clock Eastern leading into the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship race. So it's been an eventful two months for Pato Award. Can we summarize where where Pato has been and, and some of the comments, you know, that, that started, Kurt, from the beginning of the year? We learned at St. Pete that even though he's got three more years on his contract, he openly mentioned to multiple reporters in multiple settings, eh, I don't know where I'm going to be next year. <laughs> okay. Um, and then we, you know, we already had kind of the feeling that he was pretty interested in formula one, but then it goes beyond that from an IndyCar perspective. And then you learn about, he's uh, essentially a restricted free agents and then they don't get off to a very good start. Uh, then he has some more comments about I'm done listening to everyone else. And I don't want the engineers in England telling us what to do. And, some of the conversation amongst people in the paddock at Long Beach was they're going to have two new drivers next year. Neither one of these guys are going to be back. And we'll get to Felix in a moment. I think that may be a little bit harsh. That's a different situation there. That would just be simply you know, the results over the last uh, year or so. But then we're where we are now. And I said, so I guess we'll, we'll get to all the reporting. First, it was... Um, a more positive outlook on Sunday at Long Beach and then a good result. And on the NBC broadcast, I mentioned some of the things that he told me and he, I think, told some other people as well about not listening to other people, uh, wanting to only listen to the engineers here. But what I didn't have time to really get to, but what I did mention last week when, when the booth asked me about him during the Peacock broadcast because by that time, we had learned that he likely was staying. They'd worked out any concerns they had. And I think Marty Snyder said it. Racer.com mentioned it. And we'll get to Nathan Brown's piece that was in the Star either yesterday or today. Really good stuff there. But that there was a contract offer on his desk awaiting signature. So when faced with that information, 
I didn't know that at Long Beach, but I said, you know, that makes a little bit of sense because while his comments were pretty pointed, he didn't seem angry and he actually seemed in a happier place than he had been the other times I had talked to him that season. And the conversation with Taylor Kyle, the team president, was also good. So a Nathan story that went out, I think yesterday, he said that there was a big powwow at Long Beach. So it was probably dinner on Saturday night. So Pato was showing up at the racetrack on Sunday morning, probably feeling reinvigorated that, all right, they want me. They've thrown out a basic idea of a number and said, we're going to do what, what it takes to keep you. And we are going to simplify things for you. So he felt empowered at that point. And it's not like he was throwing anyone under the bus or pointing out. He's just saying, I, I trust the people that are here all the time. I want, I want them to be involved. So the latest from multiple reports is that he's not going anywhere. Now, he hasn't signed yet, so it's not 100%, but that he is expected to get a nice raise and remain at Errol McLaren SP for the next several years. So he's been working off a rookie contract, if you will, if you think about that mm-hmm. in terms of other sports, or he took a contract that that um, didn't reflect – the success that he's had the last couple of years in this sport. As you mentioned, it's, it's a contract that went through 2024. So he had to run 22, 23, 24 under that terms, if he was going to stay. And so he was, you know, shopping around a little bit. So Nathan Brown's story, which you've referenced uh, terrific story. In fact, I, I would tell Nathan, he usually listens to the show. I think it's one of the best stories, or at least in terms of content, that he's had in his time in the, in the motorsports beat. Uh, although they ran a photograph of Romain Grosjean, I, I didn't understand that, but that's not, <laughs> that's not a Nathan decision. That's not but his department. Lot, <laughs> it's not his department. Uh, but a lot of things that were really interesting in this story, one of which it identified Chip Ganassi Racing as a team that had shown interest in Nathan. Mike Hall uh, said told Indy Star that that uh, while there was not a contract printed, they had certainly talked about uh, with with Pato's father about what what a deal might look like. Uh, so so that was one of the interesting things that that came out of this. Another interesting thing that that I found was that you know there was this this Formula One test that um, that Colton Herta was offered. Uh, Nathan's reporting said that. Uh, that offer was made to both Colton Herta and Pato Award that Colton signed it right away and returned it. And Pato and his people decided to tread water just a little bit, maybe, you know, pump the brakes just a little bit and use it as a negotiating tool. And Zach Brown took it off the table as, as an opportunity. And that, that was part of the contentious uh, nature of what we, what we saw over the last couple of weeks. And what we don't know is if he had signed that addendum to the contract that included formula one testing, would that have meant that he was agreeing for an extension or for no changes in his current IndyCar contract? So you know, that might have just been simply being smart. You know, the easy thing to do would be, hey, Formula One, jump at it. That's where I want to go. Forget about this. But he was looking at the big picture 
and the guaranteed opportunity was in IndyCar. So unless they're all together, and then as you said, also it may have, maybe they weren't included, but it's no, no. You want to make me happy? You got to make me happy in all senses. Just throwing out a few test days isn't going to be enough. Um, we all worked pretty hard to get me here to IndyCar, and, and as he said, I had no leverage, no young driver, no athlete in any sport. Well, that's not always true. You know, it's some sports where you're drafted number one, you have the ability to to get a big contract. But generally speaking, most athletes are underpaid if they perform really well at the start of their career and they have to wait to really cash in. And if he has to wait until a 2025 season, that's a pretty long wait. So since there was a clause in there, he gambled on himself and he won. This was a little bit daring because he was pretty bold and they could have simply said, we've got other people. We're hiring. We're not asking people to bring budget. We've got other people that we can bring over here and fill your seats and maybe have different assets. Maybe you don't have as much outright talent as you do, but we're going to go in another direction. So that shows what they think about Pato Award and for good reason. And, and I would back that decision as well because he is a unique talent. He is someone that you want to hold on to. But kudos to him. He gambled on himself, and it looks like he won. So when you said they were, you know, you made reference to they as as it represented uh, the team. And I think we start with Zach Brown and we talk about Taylor Kyle and the other board members. But one person whose name very infrequently gets mentioned in this discussion about the race team is Mike Long, the president, chairman and CEO of Aero Electronics, the mm -hmm. title sponsor and, of course, uh, the primary sponsor on the car that that Pato drives, and according to Pato, has been uh, very supportive. Mike's been very supportive of Pato, and in Nathan's reporting, and I'm trusting Nathan on this, it it seems like Mike's involvement in the discussion relative to Pato's contract came pretty late, and once Mike Long got involved in the conversation about the time of the Long Beach race, may have even been at dinner that race weekend, that's when things really started to turn from Pato's perspective. And uh, in fact, uh, he writes, Nathan writes, after a dinner in Long Beach, a series of meetings with AMSP, AMSP Brass and Award Consulting with close and trusted racing friends, Juan Pablo Montoya and Sergio Perez, that both sides are left to, to dot the I's and cross the T's before an extension is formally announced shortly. So Mike Long's involvement may have really helped kickstart the conversation of let's get Pato signed. Uh, let's pay him what he, what he deserves. Um, there was a, a, a reference in Nathan's story about, about 75%, something to the, which led me to believe maybe he didn't get what the open market would have uh, earned him, but he certainly is, is happy with that number moving forward. It makes perfect sense that the CEO of, this isn't just a sponsor, it is a title sponsor. This isn't just the biggest sticker on the side of the car. It's in the team name. And... I don't know how the dynamics change now that McLaren has purchased the majority ownership of the team, but most of us felt like Arrow was the biggest sponsor in IndyCar two or three years ago. That was the best monetary deal that any team had. They were paying more money 
individually by a lot than any other sponsor. Don't know that for a fact, but that was the common perception. And I'm going to guess that still applies because it's not McLaren Aero SP, it's Aero McLaren SP. So it is in everyone's best interest to listen to them. And I'll also note that a driver that that company did not want retained under contract did not return. Even after one of the owners said on the record, James Hinchcliffe will be back next year. Uh, no, he wasn't back. And it all had to do with that Sports Illustrated body issue or ESPN, the magazine issue or whatever that upset people uh, at at Arrow several years ago, which was their right. They're the, the title sponsor. Um that was just an unfortunate turn of events from what I had read about that, what was able to be said about that a few years ago that led us to that decision. So it makes perfect sense. He says, I'm paying some of the bills. I want Pato as our driver. Figure it out. And they did. And they did. And, and you know, it's obviously, well, you hate to say for sure that uh, the spring in Pato step correlates to a good race weekend at Long Beach, but he was fifth. Uh, in the running order at Long Beach and, you know, certainly looks and feels like a different driver here over the last couple, three weeks as we rolled into the to the Indy test um, and and the Long Beach performance. And just, you know, he's a very emotional guy. Uh, I think we all know that. I think that's what we like about him. One of the things we like about him is that, uh, you know, he, he shows you who he is, what he feels, how he thinks. There's never any real question about that when you're when you're working with and you're listening to Pato Award. He's very authentic. So he's in my section this weekend, and I'm going to ask him about Formula One ahead of the race and see where that goes. If he feels like he allowed himself to get distracted at all over that, or was this all contract situation, um, direction of setups and, and so forth? Well, and then he, I think he, he was alluded- distracted. I think he was distracted. Now, the question is, was it the contract or was it Formula One or was it some of both? A little bit he of everything. He was distracted. He was distracted. Yeah. And and he mentioned listening to too many voices and we were and that was multifaceted as well. It was too many voices leading the direction of the car setup. But it, it appears from Nathan's story, too. It was too many people offering opinions on what he should do. So. My thought on that would be, you know, if you're asking people, they're just giving their opinion and there's not going to be one opinion on what you should do because there is no exact answer. Now, the best way to probably handle that would be to filter all those through his dad. If his dad is indeed still serving as his manager, let him deal with that or someone else that's trusted and they filter those out. So Pato's not hearing at all because he's still a young guy. He's in the middle of the season. There's a reason that athletes often don't like to deal with with contract stuff once the season gets started because it makes it difficult when being a high-level athlete is enough. So they're just trying to help. And then it's up to you and your advisors to decide, all right, we've got all this advice. Who do we trust the most? Which one do we like? Because there were, a lot, I'm sure, a lot of options out there. One would you know, be like we talked about, hey, you got to go find a new team. They don't respect you. These cars are on the nice edge. You need something more consistent. So you just need to find someone to make an offer. Say it's $4 million. They don't match it. And then you're off and running. Others would say, no, no, no. You need to stay where you're at. 
this team is good. Plus, there's the Formula One option. You know, I'm sure he's getting told too. Hey, just just get to Formula One. Don't worry about this. So who knows where it's at? Who knows what's best? But that's just kind of the nature of the beast that there is no exact correct answer. You got to figure it out. Yeah, I think. Um, and and the farther on the on the inner circle you get the more likely you're you're to get more emotional decisions or or recommendations you know just go to formula 1 these guys are not treating you right let's go to ganassi you know it's 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 that kind of moment where a person making a decision has to really pull his circle tight and listen to the right people and you know as you mentioned he's a young guy with friends probably who were offering opinions and, and Pato likes to, you know, he's a chatty guy, probably engaged in, in some of those conversations. So I'm glad that he tightened the circle and uh, made the decision based on what he thought was best. I think this is the best decision. I think this makes the most sense. Maybe it could be argued if there was going to be an opening at Ganassi, that's where you'd prefer to be. But I tend to take what Michael told Nathan Brown as accurate at the moment. I don't know that they can guarantee a spot for anyone. Uh, I don't know what Marcus Erickson's contract situation is, if it was multi-year or not. Even if it was a single year, boy, I'd think you'd still like to keep Marcus Erickson. He's really good. And if he's still bringing a little bit of funding along with it from Husky Chocolate and other backers, then even better. You don't want Alex Pillow going anywhere unless they know that Scott Dixon is retiring at the end of the season, which I doubt that would be the other scenario. And if they know that Jimmy Johnson does not want to come back, he's still publicly saying he plans on coming back. I think he reserves the right to change his mind and he can make that decision later. But I, I would consider the Ganassi situation a TBD. I see no scenario where they're having a fifth IndyCar next year. The only way you can do that is if there is a driver that you think is great that comes along and is fully funded. Well, Pato Award is not going to bring a fully funded program. He is, he is a driver that is needing to be hired. So with nothing else that I see out there, 100% guaranteed his best move was staying where he's at, which is a very, very good situation, and ticks off some of the boxes if he does have an interest, which he does, in Formula One. And besides that, this would be a miserable season. Can can you imagine basically openly leaving your team in the first two or three weekends of the year and then trying to finish it? Which leads us to our next topic. Yeah, right. I was going to say, <laughs> don't we don't we have somebody like that? By the way, I did want to interject. Well, uh, everyone's trying I to backtrack to say, a little bit now. Uh, Mike Hall, uh, I'm pretty sure I was trying to find the exact quote. Uh, to Nathan Brown was saying we wouldn't have room for Pato in 2023. That sounds to me like they thought everybody was coming back next year, Jimmy included, Marcus included. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, I think that's the approach that he's got to say publicly right now because right now you do not have true, room. True. I mean that that can change. I, I think we all understand and respect Jimmy enough that if he says, you know what, I want to I want to run Lamar. And I want to be fully prepared for Lamar, and I want to do the Indy 500 in Texas again, and a few. Maybe I want to do Long Beach again. You know, he he's done enough where he can pick and choose what he wants to do. And one of the reasons he gets to do that is because he brought the budget. 
Carvana came with him. American Legion has an awful lot to do with Jimmy Johnson as well. I don't know that's necessarily his sponsor or a team sponsor, but you, you get the point. So then there's Alexander Rossi, and we talked about this last week, and I, I said Jennifer Iyer's report in the Associated Press, for her to write that, my guess is it's going to happen. I was a little bit surprised at the wording of something along the lines of, he is rumored to have signed with Aaron McLaren SP. And uh, Alexander talked with Marty Snyder in our, our green room interview room during the test. And the quote was, nothing has been decided about his future. Um, and then Jenna tweeted, said, that being said, I guess we will wait until July for Alex and Michael to just say what's up and he's going to McLaren. And I said this last week, too. It would surprise me if he's actually signed. But I suspect that's where he's going because I doubt she's wrong. I, I doubt she's wrong as well, um, but I think there's a lot of there's still a lot of water that has to be crossed. Um, I can I can talk myself either direction, but I would I would tend to follow the story of of Rossi alongside Pato at Arrow McLaren. And by the way, that doesn't necessarily boot Felix Rosenquist because no, they no, no, are no. openly talking about planning for three cars. That is the plan. Which, by the way is really smart to get that out in the open by Zach Brown starting last August is when he started talking about that for 2023. And he and maybe Taylor Kyle as well have talked about that openly early this season. So because they knew the rumors were going to start about Rossi or any someone else. So that, that doesn't tell Felix Rosenquist, you've got no chance. He knows he's got to perform. He knows he's got to have better results to be invited back next season. But if he does, there's still time. I'll get to that in, in a moment. Um, you know, for the Rossi situation, as we said last week, I think Michael Andretti would just like this to stay quiet, as would Alexander Rossi. At least get through the month of May before it becomes publicly known but it got out there and they're just going to have to deal with it. Luckily, Rossi's the type that he's not going to get asked about this a lot. No. Because he's just going to give you a, a stare and he's smart and glib enough to be able to move on from that. So I don't see it impacting Alexander Rossi. Uh, I, I believe he and Michael, when they both say we still have a good relationship, it just kind of sounds like it's probably time. And what helps make it time from the team standpoint is they may have an agreement or desperately want to have room for Kyle Kirkwood, who will be cheaper also than Alexander Rossi as a young driver, at least to start with. Yeah, I think you're right on all fronts in this one. Although the one thing that when I said I could talk myself into a couple different things, I just I'd still... I'm still going to be surprised when I see the bow tie Chevrolet decal on Alexander Rossi's uniform because he has been as intricately linked with Honda as, as really anybody in, in the sport here the last couple of years. So that that's my one, one surprise. So that leads us to Sandberg Moose 23's question. Piggybacking on last week's Rossi and McLaren rumors, anyone else surprised Rossi likely leaving Honda for a Chevy team? And obviously, Kurt would be in that camp as well. Um, he, I, I think 
he'd prefer to stay with Honda. But if there's not a Honda option that you like, we just don't know what's on the table. Is McLaren offering a significant raise? That changes things. Do you think that's the best option for you? Because the other Honda option is Ganassi. And we just talked about how we're not sure if there's any room at the end at Ganassi. And here's the other one. One of the reasons why the Honda drivers love to stay with Honda is because Honda in the past, I believe, has sweetened their deals. They've been paid to be Honda guys. And I'm not sure that that continues at the same level that it once did. So, for example, Honda, I believe, and others believe, helped retain Rossi with Andretti. Major players. They helped retain Herta with Andretti. One theory out there right now is... You know, we've already got, we, we've still got quite a few really talented drivers. We're not in the business just throwing around money. The teams are responsible for this. So maybe we help a little bit, but we're not helping in the same, I don't have this on record. I don't know this, but it, this is just a conversation, as Jenna Fryer would say, word on the street is that Honda is not helping finance deals at the level they once were. So that is one reason why drivers that you would say are Honda guys are more open to moving somewhere else. Dan Weldon well, this, was a Honda guy. He was going to Michael Andretti's Chevy team in 2012. Scott Dixon and Dario Franchitti were Honda guys. They had no choice because Chip Ganassi went to Chevrolet. Um, you got to go where the opportunity and the best deal is. You hope agree. it's Honda in that case, but it always doesn't always work out that way. I think it has as much to do with the number of seats or lack thereof available at Ganassi uh, as as anything. You know, that would have been a good mm-hmm. Honda landing spot for him. I, you know, it'll just be let's just put it this way. It'll be a, it'll be a, a strange day when Rossi shows up with a with a Chevrolet decal at an IndyCar race. It will. And until I see an announcement. You know, I'm still, uh, while I think that's where it's headed, I can't guarantee it. And what if he wins this weekend? What if he wins the end? What if nothing has been agreed to? If it's just been talked about and it's there and it's, yeah, I think this is where we're headed. Let's talk again in a few weeks to, to sign things. If it's not been signed yet and not, if there's been no handshake and he rolls off two or three wins in a row, um, does that change things? Because it won't surprise me if Alexander Rossi does win two or three in a row and win the Indy 500. Eh, It's probably already cemented, but that's why I'm going to say you're telling me there's still a chance. Final thought on Felix Rosenquist. I still think think he's going to have a good season. They've had pace already. He's going to get some breaks at some point. He's going to need to get it turned around pretty soon or they're going to go shopping for what else is out there. But it will he's, I, I think, just going to be competing with the other potential drivers out there, and whoever they think is the best will be there. But I do believe them when they say, we believe in Felix Rosenquist. We think he'll figure this out. I think Craig Hampson will help figure this out. Oh, and that reminds me, one other reason why Alexander Rossi might be willing to, to move to Errol McLaren SP, what if they said, whether Felix Rosenquist is here or not, Craig Hampson is your engineer. Yeah, that might absolutely. help entice you to go ahead and make that move. Absolutely. I mean, 
we both spoke on Craig's behalf many times in this show, and we'll continue to do so until proven otherwise. So I agree with you. Or it it could be uh, Joseph Newgarden's engineer from last year who's moved over to Aero McLaren SP that we've not seen in the paddock so far this year that we think is under you know, some sort of a provision that, that he's not allowed to be in the paddock, you know, basically a non-compete clause for a, a little while. So, you know, they're going to have three high quality engineers at their disposal. Uh, I don't know if he's interested in being on a car or if he wants to be a development engineer at this point, but, but I think that is a possibility next year on that front, but I, I wouldn't count out Rosenquist staying, but here's a thought as well. When I was chatting with Brian Hunter Ray uh, during the the Peacock show, and I'd talked to him for a while off the air, but he gave me some pretty good stuff on the air that I should look up the quotes because uh, Andy Merrick did a great job of transcribing quotes on his uh, Twitter at Merrick Speed. And I actually went back to look at what Juan Pablo Montoya told me because it's loud and I couldn't hear all of it. All I could tell is that Juan was giving me really good stuff and I wanted to see this again, but Andy... Uh, transcribed some of this as well. But I believe Ryan said, I had some good offers out there and just decided I didn't want to really be in that situation. So I declined. Um, one theory would be that there was a scenario where Hunkos was going to field an extra car and put Ryan in that car. I don't know if that's true or not. But then he also said, I got something along the lines of, I've got some good things working. He said that to me off the air and on the air, and I didn't really pry too much about what it was. You know, I think the first thought would be it's more likely in sports cars, but not necessarily, not necessarily. And that might be, I'd say just might be a consideration. If Aero McLaren SP is definitely going to three cars, and if they decided that Felix Rosenquist is not our guy and it does not turn around for him and they're hiring someone, just like we said last winter, wouldn't Ryan Hunter Ray still be a consideration, especially if one of the other drivers is 24, 25 years old, and the second driver is 30, you know, still have plenty of runway. And by the way, that's a Chevy team. His longtime engineer, Ray Gosselin, is now in the Chevy camp and yep. is working with all the teams and might say, um, you know, guys, you might think about Ryan Hunter Ray. If you really want to lead the development of your team, uh, if you have an opening, you might want to think about him. So that's just throwing no, one think, against the wall, but I just wouldn't rule that out. I agree. I think I think that has some some merit. Okay. All right. We'll see what we need to get to next. We need to talk about IMS testing. We'll get to the Twitter inbox and more coming up at Kevin Lee twenty three at Kurt Cavan Trackside ninety three five one zero seven five The Fan. Hi, this is David Malukas, and you're listening to Trackside. David Malukas won the last time he was at Barber Motorsports Park. His first Indy Lights win to open up the season last year. Uh, he and Kyle Kirkwood came together in turn one of race one. Then Malukas came back and won race two. One of the storylines coming in to this Sunday afternoon at Barber Motorsports Park, which will kick off the month of May, will be on nightly starting next Monday night at seven o'clock as well uh want to give a shout out here so there's a new sticker coming on jackson's race car this weekend and and 
uh, our friend Mark Allen. You're familiar with Mark, uh, who was a, yep. a Dayton news yep. anchor for many, many years, big IndyCar fan. So this isn't something that I've I've really solicited doing because, as I've said before, there are more worthy causes than donating to our race team. But uh, fortunately, some people have done so. And Mark said, you know what? I'd love to see my grandkids' names on a race car. So I'm going to make a little donation. If you'll put a sticker for Deacon and Cohen on the car for the month of May. So I'll, I'll get a picture. I'll send to Mark and he can tweet that out this weekend. So that's, I think, on the card now that's going to be headed down to Birmingham. So I don't know that I'll make a practice of this, but you know what? I probably would. I probably would because a lot of people have done crowdfunding things like that. I've tried to avoid that path. I have maybe foolishly gone along the route of, no, we're going to provide return and we're going to give assets to the businesses that uh, we represent. But, hey, if it buys a set of tires, it buys a set of tires, and I'm all for it. So thanks to Mark for coordinating that, and we look forward to seeing pictures of Deacon and Cohen on the car this weekend on the number two IU Simon Cancer Center Spruce Race for RP Browning Chapman Cape Motorsports car. So there you go. I like it. And, and by the way, I wouldn't have a, a rule against that if income is income. That's true. And if we had a trackside sticker, I'd put one on there. But I've I've made enough stickers. I don't need to make any more stickers at this point. <laughs> and I'm out of Bullwinkle stickers. I don't have any moose stickers to put on the car. And we didn't win with the moose sticker last year. So I'm not sure. We're going to go without the moose for now. Although it's working pretty well for Ross Chastain. So maybe I may want to rethink that and go back into the archives and see if I do still have a moose sticker. Uh, I said I'd run down, even though it's April, since we're talking silly season, we're not going to go deeply into this at all. But I said, hey, I'll run down the list of people that might be free agents for next year just to kind of keep on the back burner and why things are interesting. Maybe Kyle Kirkwood, if he's not already signed with Andretti. Probably Renus VK. Maybe there's a clause in, in some of these contracts as well. Uh, probably Felix Rosenquist, who we mentioned. I don't know what Elio's situation is. Was it a one or a two year? And I'll speak on Elio for just a second. I think I think there was some thought over the winter is, and you know, that might be an opening. That's a good op- potential spot with Meyer Shank racing if Elio is not what he was on road and street courses at 46 ish years old. And my answer to that would be one, I still think he's going to be pretty decent and he showed some pace at times. And two, even if he's not, is Elio not by far your best commercial option? He's going to have a chance to win the Indy 500 this year and next year. He's going to be good on the other oval races and at worst, he's going to be okay on the road and street course races. And when I bring guests around that don't know racing and I'm looking to show them a driver they might recognize, I'm still starting with Elio Castroneves. I, I, I don't see a scenario where, where you can, you know, unless Scott Dixon becomes available, maybe Alexander Rossi, you know, there's a very short list of drivers that I would choose over Elio Castroneves when you're taking everything about the business into consideration. I think if he wants to come back next year, he's going to be back. I, I don't think there, I mean, I'm, I'm going to throw a blanket statement. I'm not sure there's anybody I would take over Elio Castroneves. I would forego the chance to win Road America to give me a chance to win the Indy 500. 
and and win a fifth Indy 500 for Elio. I mean, it, and I it's more would. than that. So, yes, but then you have Elio for these other 16 weekends where he can charm your guests. Absolutely, and that's, absolutely. That's not everything. You need performance, but it's, well, it's not, not like, like he's going to be twentieth. Yes, he's not exactly. going to be 25th. I mean, if he's 10th, I mean, he's in the mix. And, you yep. know, we'll have to see how this ends up for Elio's season. And I agree with you, but um, but it's you'd be hard-pressed to, to convince me, as competitive as this series is, we're going to have a lot of very, very good drivers who are going to finish 8th, ninth, 10th. And in the grand scheme of things, they, they don't get a, very much of a mention. You know, you're talking about championship contenders or bust to some degree. Now, what if it is a one-year contract and other people make him a better offer? Well, that that's probably a more likely scenario. Yeah, okay. And then I mentioned Marcus Erickson. I don't know what his situation is, whether it was a multi-year extension or not. And I think Callum Eilat is a young yes. driver that might be on a one-year. Maybe it has options. Uh, that that are at the team's choice, but if he's a full free agent and they continue where they're headed, he might be someone that people wonder wonder what he would do in our car. So I would just keep an eye on that as well. Okay, uh, we need to touch on what we learned and what we still don't know from the IMS test from two days last week. Uh, I think we know that uh, Joseph Newgarden is going to be pretty good. He ought to be your one of your leading contenders to win the Indy 500. I think. Uh, we saw that uh, Tony Kanaan obviously still got it. And my guy, Takuma Sato, who I seem to pick most years to win the Indy 500, uh, is going to be, uh, uh, again, a contender with in yet a different team. Uh, he ran second in the in the test. Now, again, this is a test. You don't know what everybody's showing. And, and you go down through the list to see where some of the drivers that I mentioned earlier uh, you know, where they ran. And, and so I wouldn't get too excited one way or the other. But uh, we do know it's going to be a deep field. Uh, we know that Team Penske ought to be pretty good, and the Ganassi cars ran well. And I was a little surprised by the Andretti bunch didn't run as as strong as as uh, as they have in in recent years in Indianapolis. Uh, Marco Andretti was the only car in the top fifteen, and you know he admittedly goes out and tries to. Uh, see where a toe can help him on a speed chart, but uh, no, he says uh, he's not doing that anymore. I, I understand that, but he does have a history <laughs> of that, so you can't you can't just assume that he's he's that much stronger than his teammates. Um, Scott McLaughlin ran really well. I thought he had a good test. Callum Eilat, you know, to be 18th in the test and look as solid as he did. He was third on on the first day. That was pretty impressive. The Dry and Reinbold cars made their debut and and they were right together, Ferrucci and and Sage Karam. So that was pretty impressive. And and uh, those are kind of some of my initial thoughts. So Marco was one I talked to late. Now he he made one more run. He wasn't happy. It almost sounded like he was starting to be concerned about slow car syndrome a, a little bit. And here's why you can't really put too much into the tests. Um, or what I think you put something into it, but just looking at the speed chart doesn't tell you everything. You need to know more. Juan Pablo Montoya was really happy, and we know Juan Pablo is very honest. The point where he was so frustrated last year that he said, I didn't really want to come back. They almost had to talk me into coming back because we just weren't very good. And here it's so much different. I feel so much better. And he was last on the chart. 
The other thing I would note is the only guy I talked to after all was done was Will Power. And he said, well, I know that my race car is great, but I won't know until qualifying weekend how we stack up there. I just don't know yet where things are at when you're out there by yourselves. So that's good. It means it's uncertain. I think it's pretty even, and it's going to be a lot of fun. We'll see what we missed and more coming up in just a moment on Trackside. Hi, this is Will Power, and you're listening to Trackside. A couple of late tweets from Dave Mendez at Tree Mendez. How impressive has Hy-Vee been as an IndyCar supporter? Very impressive. And they've got die casts out there that are available. That's that's incredibly cool. And it's one of those that it's obviously good for Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan. But it's one of those partners that's good for everyone in IndyCar as well. Here's one for you, Kurt. I'm going to leave this to you. Jeff Peterson at Woof Woof Mo says... Outside the box ID on April 8, 2024, there's a total eclipse of the sun that will pass directly over IMS. Need to have some type of race activity to promote IndyCar. Almost guaranteed worldwide attention. Only two years away, so need time to plan. I'm going to put that on your to-do list. You're oh, in charge of you Eclipse know, 2024. You know Doug Bowles is on that one. He's going to be uh, you know, riding his bicycle or a race car or or skiing on the backstretch. I mean, he's he'll have it figured out. Uh, we, we didn't talk about, along with the qualifying change, a Monday practice is back this year. Noon until 2 with um, limited gates open, infield is kind of the plan. We think the grandstands would be open, yes, on the inside, not the outside, but the uh, I, I would think a couple of them are going to be open on the inside of the track. Yeah, me, me too. That's what we refer to as Tower Terrace. Uh, that's what most people know it as. But on either side of the pagoda, that'll be open. I, I certainly expect that. If anyone with IMS knows that not to be true, let us know. We'll pass that along. All right, we're out of time. We'll try again next Monday night, every weeknight at 7 next week. Join IndyCar Radio and NBC and Peacock for all the coverage this weekend from Barber Motorsports Park. For Sam and Kurt, I'm Kevin. This is 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan.